Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. Today we are traveling to the US where we will visit two Java user groups. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. We started the Fuji podcast Jug World Tour in Manchester last December. Last month we were in Dubai. And now we are on the other side of the world in the US to meet the people behind the Denver and Boulder Jug. Hi, my name is Greg Ostrovich. Um, I started in Java in the late 90s when I was working for what is now CenturyLink. It was US West and then it became Quest. And uh, when I was working for US West, I got my Java certification. Um, I went to a No Fluff, uh, Just Stuff event hosted by Jay Zimmerman in 2001. And I think that's also when I really started going to the Java users group in Denver, uh, which met on DU's campus. I'm not sure if uh, Tom Mars was running the group then. Um, in 2001, I started to work for the Colorado Department of Transportation and used Java for some back-end data manipulation uh, and a Swing GUI app, that's how old this was, <laughs> for um, human resources to view data that they needed to work with. My name is Zeti Chunfong. In my day-to-day life, uh, I'm an Android engineer working in Kotlin, but uh, I started a long time ago in development also, and uh, I learned C, C++, and Java in school, but early on in my career, I was doing a lot of uh, DoD work, and we mostly did C and C++ development. I think when I started working for uh, telecom uh, companies is when I started having to learn Java, and uh, that's when I found DJUG. And uh, I was living in Colorado Springs at the time, and so I'd drive up, come to the meetings every so often. Uh, but I don't think, I, I think it was around 2010 when I decided I wanted to volunteer because I was coming a lot. And before the pandemic, I was doing a lot of the announcements. And um, most recently, I've been taking up the role of dealing with the sponsors. So my name is Chris Moyna. I've been using um, Java since uh, the 90s also. I've used it in a variety of settings from embedded to very, very large enterprise systems. I've also used it in science settings, including uh, NOAA, the National Oceanographic uh, Atmospheric Administration, uh, the National Center of Atmospheric Research, and most recently at the National Ecological Observatory Network, which is uh, funded by the National Science Foundation. Yeah, so my name is Matt Rabel. I got involved with the Denver Jug way back in the early 2000s. I went to school for not computers. I got a degree in Russian international business and finance and then got into open source in Java in the early 2000s, found the Denver Jug and started going to meetings you know, frequently for 10 years, 15 years. And then I think it was 2015 or 16, I decided that I wanted to get more involved and help find speakers and help find venues and been doing that ever since. And I'm Frank Del Porte, technical writer at Azul, doing some Java development since 10 years, but I'm overwhelmed with the amount of experience we have in this, this podcast. We have two jugs in the room. How long do these uh, jugs exist? The Boulder Jug started uh, quite some time ago by Jay Zimmerman, who has gone on to host uh, conferences around the world related to Java technologies. Uh, no fluff, just stuff. And he's president of Big Sky Technologies. I was a longtime member and I eventually, like others, stepped up and took over the leadership role about 20 years ago. Boulder is world famous. It's a kind of like a Silicon Silicon Valley of the Rockies. Uh, we have a very we have a lot of Nobel Prize winners in town. We have several federal labs. 
the community continued to develop. Um, I even um, in years past had meetings with people like Eric Schmidt, who had ended up was at Sun at the time, and he ended up building the Oracle campus, which was Sun at the time as a result of that. And now we have a very large Google campus here as well. It's a separate and distinct community, but we're we're very closely related to the Denver community also. So the Denver Java Users Group started around 1994. Uh, Corey Klossmeyer um, started it and kind of moved on to other things. And uh, we used to meet at DU's campus when I first started uh, downtown. And then I found uh, the Agile Group was meeting at the Quest Auditorium. And so we were able to use that facility. And then we were meeting at an educational institution um, in Lowry, as well as the Auraria campus. And we've met um, a, a few other places and we're kind of trying to figure out where we're gonna be right now because after COVID, uh, things have kind of closed off as far as some of the places we used to use. I've actually been to the Boulder Jug too and helped out um, by running that on a few meetings uh, for Jay. And, uh, and, it's, and they've, they've kind of floated around too, but they found a place that's really good for them. I started running it around 2008-ish. Uh, somebody had stepped away from the group, and, and so I kind of picked that up around then. So, um, yeah, we've been around since 1994. So next year you'll have a big uh, jubilee, 30 years of having a jug. <laughs> Hadn't thought about that, but yeah. <laughs> well, actually, there are a few. Uh, I think the Manchester jug, they realized during the podcast recording that they existed nearly 10 years. So I think because of covid the events stopped and, and it, everyone switched to uh, online or, or some of the jugs switched to online events. Was that something you have done uh, in Boulder and Denver, switch to virtual jugs? Yeah, so that, that actually worked really well because we were able to pick up uh, speakers from all over the world. Um, and uh, it just the timing is kind of interesting. I mean, we had a speaker uh, from a, a Scandinavian country that it was like three in the morning during our Java users group. Um, interestingly, um, our attendance hasn't been um, as as good uh, online. It's it's more available, but I think maybe people watch it later. Um, Matt uh, records it and we broadcast on YouTube, but um, I think it's better attended when we can do it in person. Um, if you know that works better. And I want to go to Matt and Zeddy because I don't want to hog it all. What do you guys uh, think about that? I agree. Our, our attendance suffered a lot. You know, for me, part of what drew me into this community originally was was just the uh, in-person interaction. There was a lot of networking, and we we were we were a group before Meetup even existed. So I think it was a uh, you know a more natural, organic community. The attendance numbers were awful. It just didn't feel the same. Well, I, th I think you say they're awful, but like online. They actually weren't that bad, right? We had like 20 or 30 per meetup. And you might think that that's not very good, but I watched an Angular like broadcast and that's like multiple thousands of people in that community. And there's like 10 on the podcast or 10 on the video, right? So I think a lot of the streaming stuff that happens, you don't get a lot of people watching it in real time. You get a lot of people watching after. And I think the biggest benefit of us doing, you know, that kind of thing during the pandemic was we really kind of grew closer with Chris Right. And we did a lot more coordination because he was on the same meetup and we'd broadcast through StreamYard, you know, having all of us on there as hosts. So even though there was a lot of downsides, I think we grew closer together as, you know, Boulder and Java 
jugs and now we're cooperating better. But we also get a lot of people now that are like, is this going to be broadcast, right, for our upcoming meetups? And we're like, no, it's too much work. We're just going to, you know, in person. And if you don't live here, maybe you shouldn't have joined the meetup, right? Am I correct? Uh, I'm not from the US, so uh, that's a faraway country for me. Uh, is it correct that you're 30 minute drive away? You know, it's probably more like 45 minutes mm -hmm. when there's no traffic problems. So what we did traditionally was that we would schedule back to back so that as in the old days, speakers would travel around the country quite a bit or even around the world. So we made it worth our while that we would be, Boulder would be one night and the following night would then be the Denver night. And that really worked well for the membership because many times if people have had issues with their children or whatever, they would selectively pick and go to one or they would even go to both. So after the pandemic, we collapsed to one night and we still often do that. And we do whatever we can to accommodate each other's groups to make things go well. And I want to throw out here, um, this is where, uh, you know, we Chris had mentioned Jay Zimmerman. Um, Jay has uh, some different Java venues uh, for, for learning. He would bring in speakers for his venue and then even offer tickets to the venue. And so what we would do is you know, we'd leverage that back-to-back, -back, as Chris just said, so that uh, a speaker came in for uh, a no-fluff thing and then uh, they would speak at uh, the Boulder Jug on a Tuesday night and then the Denver Jug on a Wednesday night. And so that did work uh, pretty well. Seems a very nice collaboration if you can share your speakers like that. Also, our uh, state, the, the mountain range runs north-south and most of the most of the large cities and urbanization is snugged up against the eastern north-south. So the Boulder tends to get the people from the northern part of the state and the Denver tends to get more from the southern part of the state. So it's more than just the physical separation. It's the cities to the north and the cities to the south. So you're covering actually a, a, a whole area around Denver and Boulder. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, how is the format? Do you have mostly one speaker, two speakers? How do you organize the, the jug events? We, we've kind of done both. Um, for the longest time, we used to have a, like a basic concepts kind of thing in the beginning, like from, I don't know, the like the first hour of the Java users group. Uh, we would do like, you know, pizza and socialization before we start. We would do a basic concepts thing and then we would do uh, a more advanced topic. Uh, we've really folded that into just really one speaker uh, for the Java users group, for the Denver uh, Java users group. And I think that's just been, you know, easier to fill speakers. We've also done um, some some sort of breakout groups, if you will. We had a study group mid-2000s on uh, design patterns. And so we would meet outside of the users group for that. And there were some other ones as well. I don't remember on the topics. So, Chris? Yes. Uh, but yours. What Greg said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you agree on everything. That's, that's very nice. <laughs> but I'm abusing a bit these podcast recordings because we are restarting the B-Jug, the Belgian Jug. One of the ideas we have for the March session is to invite new speakers uh, and see if we can attract people who never spoke at a Jug or at, at another event and maybe try this for the first time with a short session. I find it pretty difficult to find these people. Is that something that you have done, training new speakers or uh, people who want to do this for the first time? Here are some of my tips for finding speakers. And Matt, 
is an actual speaker, so he is a he is a wealth of resources. So probably he should answer this question also. But for me, more as a pedestrian jug person, what I do is I have looked at our past meetups and the well attended ones, the the popular speakers. Uh, we'll contact those. We try to schedule out the meetups at least one to two years in advance, and we'll email and message uh, potential speakers. We'll give them uh, a schedule of you know 10 to 20 dates that they can pick from in the future um, to help accommodate their scheduling. Um, we try not to leave it to last minute doing it like that. Another really clever trick that I've discovered is that I poach speakers from other meetups. So I'll go around the world and I'll look at other meetups. And um, I'm also a member of several of the other large meetups. And I'll contact speakers of, of talks that I think were really good. Similarly, <laughs> uh, Matt's been booking for us for a while, which has been great. I've used uh, you know, Jay as a resource to find people. Uh, the other thing is, uh, as Chris has said, uh, other user groups. So we've been, um, I don't want to say poaching, but I used to attend the Denver Open Source Users Group, and we would sometimes pull speakers uh, for topics that were Java-related because there were some non-Java topics as well. In addition to that, uh, there's a Colorado Springs Open Source Users Group, and they'll they'll poach uh, speakers from the, the Denver Open Source Users Group and from our group. Um, the other thing is, as I had mentioned before, the basic concepts, doing that sort of shorter uh, talk is a great way to cut your teeth and to have speakers, you know, try speaking for the first time in, in what can be a little bit of an intimidating environment. But the other thing um, we've done that I would recommend is we've done lightning talks yep. um, for for our um, our recent December get together, we did them on fun topics not related to technology at all. I did one on how to juggle. Somebody did one on fostering cats. But uh, the lightning talk format is really um, a tight, uh, a time box tight format, and it's so it's a little easier. And you rotate slides. I have. A, a thing I did on cups, which is a, a print spooling system to convert HTML to PDF. And I did it as a lightning talk. And in that format, um, I just had like, I don't know how many, 50 slides and they just auto rotated. So it was a five or 10 minute talk. And that might, if you if you did a collection of lightning talks for one of your meetings, what a great way to present some information, but also um, maybe call some speakers from that list uh, that you might be interested in having do a basic concepts and or be a featured speaker. I'm glad you mentioned the lightning talks. That's the first thing I, I thought of. I think that's been great since we've been doing that. And uh, I guess get a lot of people. The reason why we say, you know, we let them know that it can be any topic. That way they can feel comfortable presenting on whatever they want to and they can, you know, and just have fun with it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a bit the idea we had. So we, our next jug, we have one speaker, uh, Gerrit Grunwald, who is very experienced. He has a, a very technical topic, but in front, it can be anything. Eh? It, it's just developer life related, but yeah, <laughs> it can indeed be anything. Eh? That's a great point. We've done a lot of talks that weren't necessarily uh, Java specific, but were maybe Java tangential, but even developer tangential, developer life, how to learn, um, maybe how to learn some new topics uh, related to the technology, how to organize it, and uh, how to work with a team. We've done talks that weren't necessarily just uh, pure Java, and that's th those have been great as well. 
I ended up taking over from Google the Colorado Kubernetes and Cloud Native meetup, which has a large membership also, and I help with the Boulder DevOps meetup. And they all meet at Rule 4 in Boulder, which I'll talk about in a bit. The upshot, what, what I figured out was that in addition to having co-meeting our two meetups was that I also mash up those meetups sometimes if a topic is of interest to those groups and people can self-select if they want to go or not. You know, really people are using multiple technologies. It's not just Java. And those three are kind of closely related. So I've found by co-scheduling those three meetups, we'll have a fairly large uh, in-person attendance. And how many visitors do you attract in average? Because I, I know that can change a lot. Eh? 60 plus sometimes. I would say for, for sure it depends on the, the topic slash speaker. It's, it's pretty healthy numbers. I don't think we ever cared about tracking the attendance until we moved to Meetup. And uh, I've been thinking about this because I, I it took me a while to remember why. And I think what happened was we kept running out of food. And uh, because we existed before Meetup, uh, we, we had a message board you know, that we, we, we'd send out information about meetings to, about, and then because we've existed so long, I think people just got in the habit of, you know, second Wednesday of the month, they knew when to show up. So not everyone, everyone was RSVP. And so then, uh, you know, we started trying to track numbers, but um, I think the largest attendance we have on record was uh, for Vencat. I think, uh, what was it? 122 people showed up. So Vencat was a huge draw. The other one we did, um, and I was going to talk about it. You asked about the most remarkable session. Mm -hmm. um, we had Grady Booch. He drew about 150 people or more in what was the Quest Auditorium. The uh, local phone company had a huge auditorium that we were using for their training and stuff. And uh, when we had Grady, that was packed. But Vencat's an awesome speaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We used to meet at Computer Associates uh, when they were um, Raleigh Software in Boulder. And I think there were many employees there that would just come after work. And a couple of times we had an excess of 200 people. Wow. It, it, yeah, it was crazy. But then for security reasons, uh, we had to move out. That's an interesting question because now we can't even find a place in Denver that'll uh, seat more than 25. Like Chris doesn't have a problem. He's got, you know, a place that'll have a hundred, but I haven't been able to find a company in Denver that will give us a place for free for, you know, more than 25 people. So it's a struggle. Still because of the COVID uh, measures? They want us to hire security guards. Like we used to do Pivotal, right? And then moved to VMware. Mm -hmm. And VMware basically had a conversation with them a few months ago and they were like, we got to hire a security guard. It's going to cost you 250 a meetup, right? And we were like, well, We don't get any income, so we can't do that. That's a totally different situation than for Belgium, indeed. A lot of companies are interested because not really for the hiring process, but I think it's good for a company to have a jug as an event coming with a speaker that they self-arranged. So it's just the venue that they have to give you. Um, but indeed, if security guards are needed, then yeah, the cost can go up a bit, indeed intellectual property and having um, high-tech people wandering around in a facility. Liability concerns also, mm -hmm. especially if there's alcohol involved. Some other jugs actually have membership and charge 
for their membership. Um, and I think that's how they help pay for stuff. And we talked about that. And I think we kind of decided, you know what, let's just kind of go with our format, which is we're free and uh, basically a service to the public. That does make it challenging, as Matt said, since COVID for finding a venue. But um, that's been kind of nice. After COVID restarting is a problem. We had our first in-person meetup, at least in Denver, in January. Mm -hmm. And it went well, but like I said, 25 is the max. And uh, the cool thing was we packed it, right? Like mm -hmm. it was full. And on Meetup, it said 50 people. So we always half that. And it worked out. And I think, you know, I'm speaking next week. And we aren't quite to 50 yet, but we're we're going to try and keep the same venue just because we haven't found another one that'll give us space, right? And so, you know, we've talked about capping the number because, you know, you don't want 50 mm -hmm. people in a 25-person room. Right. But uh, but we're having no problems getting people to show up. We're having problems getting a venue to mm -hmm. house all the people. Another thing that kind of changed with COVID, um, in addition to the venue, as Matt mentioned, is our sponsorships. Uh, we had a lot of sponsors who would pay for food, tchotchkes, uh, giveaways, door prizes. Uh, Amazon was a sponsor for a little bit. And uh, they'd give away like their um, the little pucks, the Alexa pucks, and um, some different things. And Matt's uh, company, Okta, he gave away some books of his and some other stuff from Okta. But a lot of the sponsors that would like buy gift cards that we would give away kind of uh, went away. And I think uh, you know trying to trying to draw them back in is is a little bit of a challenge. We're really fortunate. We're at a we're at Rule Four in Boulder, Colorado. At Rule Four coming from uh, Isaac Eisenhoff. It's kind of a very playful emerging technology and cybersecurity company. Um, they have a lot of very kind of exotic toys, a lot of electric bikes, things like that. They're outside magazines, best places to work. They lavishly cater our meetups uh, with hot plates and. You know, it's using Indian or Mexican or some such thing. So we've been very fortunate in that regard. Yeah, indeed, the venues and, and how they welcome you and what they offer as an extra uh, drinks and food is, is really great indeed. You already mentioned a few of the, the most remarkable sessions. Uh, Matt, do you also have one that keeps popping up in your head? I remember the Grady Booch one pretty well. And it was, uh, <laughs> I also remember the funny story I tell about it. It wasn't Grady himself. It was a a guy that I hadn't met yet who became a good friend of mine, and that's Bruce Snyder. I remember seeing him from across the room and, you know, my younger self being kind of naive. I was like, man, that lady keeps asking a lot of really interesting questions, right? And it was because he had long hair, right? And uh, and so I remember that one well. And then Bruce and I became good friends because of the meetups because we'd always go and then we'd socialize after. So that kind of made me think when we when I start getting involved that we shouldn't do the the basic concepts because what was happening with the basic concepts is it was a regular talk. And so you'd end up sitting through two long talks and you'd miss out on the socializing at the end because everyone was like, it's nine o'clock, I'm done. Right. And so that's why we voted with our community to see if they want to do one talk. And that's why we kind of went there. But yeah, Grady Booch is probably my most memorable one. And there's, there's lots of ones with Venkat that we've had, you know, before the pandemic that were like, holy cow, this room is full. I want to throw out in addition to Venkat and Grady was Kathy Sierra. Now she's stepped away from a lot of stuff because of uh, threats, mm -hmm. uh, which was really sad, but she gave a talk on enterprise Java beans and she, she did all those head first talks, uh, head first books 
uh, for O'Reilly. And so we actually acted out an EJB um, that, you know, putting it in the container and, 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 you know, persisting to the database. And that was so much fun. And I just remember, you know, her uh, thing, her shtick was, uh, you know, making it fun so that you would learn and really enjoyed that talk as well. I wanted to throw that out. It was a long mm-hmm. time ago, obviously, since it was Enterprise Java Beans. Yeah, but you have a long history of jugs, so... <laughs> I, I did want to mention along the lines of the worst talk that we've had, I, I won't say who it was, but we've had some architecture talks. And so I would ask that you, you might want to avoid that. Um, you get it, it's kind of... You know, you get a company and they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll provide stuff. and But they're basically going to sell a product. And for us, our audience does not like that. But we had one speaker that uh, didn't know the technology they were talking about. And and the the audience kind of called him on it. I mean, he mm-hmm. would he would say stuff and they were like, no, that's not right at all. So the one thing I would also tell your speakers, don't BS your audience. If you don't know the answer, it's completely okay to say, you know what? I don't know. Let me find out and get back to the get back to the jug and have a, a post that answer. I really like the, the small amount of people in the room of a jug that really go into interaction with the speaker. Uh, the last jug we had, there were some issues and it was a early release and some errors popped up during the, the presentation. But then you have the whole audience cooperating with the speaker to f- to fix his issues. So that was really great. And that's really fun if that happens. And you bring up another great point, Frank, is that a lot of times at not just Java Users Group, but any kind of meetings I go to, I learn from the audience. They're often um, experts in the technology as well, where there are experts populated throughout the audience. And that interaction, not only for troubleshooting, when when the demo invariably goes wrong, but also they might be using the technology in a way the speaker isn't using it. And and there's been some really great interaction on that as well. You know, we try to counsel speakers that are less experienced to um, be succinct and try to stick within an hour to an hour and a half and not to get carried away with excessive coding. Keep it simple. It's a learning experience. And um, the ones that get brutal and where everything blows up and they can't make things work, we've all seen that. I would add to that um, another great tool, and Chris, that was awesome, um, is practice. There's a there's a guy, Matt McCulloch, he went to work for uh, GitHub, uh, who is from here, and he and uh, Tim Berglund and a few others were local speakers. Uh, Matt did a book on presenting, on presentations with, I think, Neil Ford. And one of the things that they talked about in the book, I did the tech edit for that, was practice in real time. In other words, don't just go over your notes for your talk, do an hour long session of your talk in real time before you do the real thing for an audience, because nobody does that or most people don't. And it's really key. Um, And then record it using a webcam or whatever, or just a camera in your room and, and look at that, see how you're doing, uh, see if you have a lot of ums and ahs, and, and you can really kind of fine-tune your presentation before you go prime time. Matt's an international speaker. You you might want to ask him. Yeah, Matt, do you have tips for new speakers who is going to speak at the first jug? Well, it's funny because I'm the one who uh, screens the speakers, right? And uh, and we have a CFP that's you know been open. We usually open a new one every year. And a lot of times I will make people basically... Uh, you know, or not make them, but ask them, you know, are they showing code in their presentation or will they be doing any sort of demo? 
right? And if they say no, then I'm like, mm, I don't think we're interested, right? And so, you know, I tell them we prefer live coding and stuff like that. And it's funny because I'm not going to name names, but there's there's one person that I've been negotiating with for a talk, and I think it's going to be a great talk, but they're doing it on behalf of someone else. And so what they did is they actually created a video and sent it to me about how they want to, you know, present the talk and the material. And that to me is like something a salesperson would do. And I'm more turned off than I was before, right? If he had just said, yes, we'll take April and here's the abstract, I would have been done, right? But instead he's like, no, it's going to be a really good talk. Let me show you how. And it's not from the person who's doing the talk, right? I think it'd be different if it was from the person doing the talk. But, you know, for new speakers, I think a lot of times it's uh, it's what Greg said, it's practice. And, uh, and I've learned this more during the pandemic than I ever have before because of doing screencasts and editing my own screencast. So I think, you know, maybe like Greg said, you know, turn on the webcam and try to turn that talk into an actual screencast. Because what you'll find is if you haven't practiced, you'll do so much editing that it's really painful, right? Like, you know, record for an hour, you edit for eight hours and you're like, God, this sucks. Versus recording where you did a bunch of practicing beforehand, editing only takes a couple hours, right? Because you never made any mistakes. So you know, practice is key, but it's really hard to do, right? No one likes to do it. And that's why, you know, speaking at Jugs can be helpful because in these times when we're not recording, it's very, I think, free and you can make mistakes and everyone's supporting you, right? Versus like a conference, mm, not so, you know, free of an environment. I'm a newbie speaker because I finished the book just before COVID. I'm the king of bad timing. So <laughs> I was going to do jugs and conferences, but I only did virtual ones. I'm, I'm afraid to do f live coding. <laughs> I have to be honest. People like Fencats, they are masters, but yet they practice and they do it every day. Huh? I've hung out with Josh and Venkat and they practice relentlessly. They practice like hours before their talk, right? Like they don't look like, you know, they're practicing, but they are. They practice a whole bunch. The other thing too, Frank, is um, the the more you do it, the the better you get. Um, I, just running the jug, I have some people that attended from when it started, when I started attending, who have said, you know, you do better. Um, and, and I think that's just because over time, um, your skills get better. I was shocked once I ended up watching a Peter Gabriel concert from behind the stage. And what I was shocked was that their teleprompters, that all the witty banter and everything was all pre-scripted, that they were just reading off the teleprompters. I think with, with all these big concerts, I think if you go to the, the same concert a few days, you just hear the same jokes and stories. And just like you say, it's all been practiced and, and repeated. As you said, you had some, some these lightning talks. Do you really train people to get uh, to become a speaker? No, we haven't done anything to, to help them become speakers. And in, in reality, in the last one, um, we were struggling with the venue and we we're struggling with the sponsorship and stuff like that. And so we didn't even announce the lightning talks till like a week before. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, <laughs> and it was like Greg and I and two other people or something like that. It wasn't that many. The the foster cat talk um, wasn't planned. I just asked somebody to, to do it there we were talking about stuff and she said okay and she put it together <laughs> before her talk um at the meeting so that that was pretty impromptu and it was great it was a good talk 
Do you have specific plans for the future? Yeah, first finding a venue again and restarting fully after the COVID, but just getting back to schedule, I think that's the main plan. Well, we've been on schedule, right? It's just been virtual. And so we started our first in-person one in January and we haven't had a problem getting speakers. I think, you know, the biggest problem is the venue. And then once you have the venue, you can do all kinds of things. And one of the things that we've never been able to do is we always meet on the second Wednesday of every month. And we always get these international speakers that are traveling through the U.S. and want to do a jug tour, right? But we only meet on the second Wednesday of every month, so we never are able to do anything to accommodate them. So I would love to find a venue that would be like, yeah, you can do Tuesday night or you can do next Thursday or they're always open for us to, you know, do a meetup. So, of course, we would need, you know, the actual people, right, to show up. Um, but we do feel like with, you know, 3,600 members or something that if the topic is appealing, they would, right? But it's, uh, you know, it's you got to advertise it a month ahead of time to get people to show up. And it can be tough to do if you're like, next week, we're doing a meetup, you know? Matt is actually the guilty party here. So our our venue allows us to meet pretty much whenever. And we at, we invited him for next Monday night. And he's like, no way, that's football night. <laughs> So we uh, we pushed it back a night. So we're we're hosting Matt next week to talk about OAuth. We're looking forward to that. The other thing too that Matt had had mentioned um, before to us that I want to bring up because I thought it was great is I feel like we have a set of attendees that is maybe older and and not any of the new uh, you know new graduates from school and we did get some people from uh, some of those uh, those private institutions yeah like code schools but Matt has talked about us drawing in younger younger people to attend but also to help run it and I think that's great and I do think that's the future of the jug and I, I want to definitely try to accomplish that as well and how is the mix of your visitors young old male female you have a view on uh, that? Definitely a mostly uh, male. But, you know, the great thing we have going for us for as long as I've been uh, helping out, there's always at least one woman developer in attendance. So that works well in our favor. Yeah, d definitely mostly male. I think what I was seeing pre-COVID, a lot of uh, mid-career people were looking to learn. I think early on, a long time ago, like uh, the mid to, to late 2010s or around there it was a lot of older uh developers older male developers but it's definitely been coming down a little bit i think the the challenge for us even myself there's there's so much you can learn uh technically especially on youtube right so i think it's great we're gonna try to attract younger people i'm just not sure how yet when i first started to go into denver jagos because i needed a job right and so i think you know we're kind of back in that era where Maybe we weren't there six months ago, but now we could see people coming just to network and try to get their next gig, you know? So mm -hmm. hopefully that brings the younger folks in. We get some folks like that. And But what I want to also add is that um, if you pay attention, sometimes there are people with basically no IT or computer science experience. And you kind of have to, um, well, you don't have to, but as a nice person, you want to be able to mentor them and let them know what they're in for and how realistically they can get from A to B. And that's also a lot of, I think, the the meetup experience is, is mentoring people with career issues or technology issues or co-worker issues, those types of things also. 
the other thing too is uh, with not meeting online, but meeting in person, I really enjoy just meeting up with my friends that I haven't seen in a month um, at the Java users group. I have a lot of people that I've met through the group and that's been really great. Uh, some of them have kind of moved on, but uh, you know, you talked about uh, just jumping back to the speakers real quick. Matt McCulloch really cut his teeth um, at the Denver Java users group, the open source users group and, and the no fluff stuff before uh, becoming kind of an internationally known speaker as well as Tim Berglund. Um, Matt, I don't know if you started with us um, when you were writing some of your first books, but and what a great way to kind of interact uh, and meet with people that are actually using the technology, not people just kind of talking about it. I think for, for some people, the talk is not that important, but what happens after the talk and the drink before? That's a great point. Frank, we do, um, for our Java users group, we would have a meal before the talk, uh, just kind of pizza or whatever, that we'd have um, the basic concepts when we first started. We're not doing that anymore. We do our feature talk, but afterwards we go to a bar and hang out. And, and Matt's company um, has been very generous um, about sponsoring uh, food and drink at that. And we just hang out and talk about stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean technology. And it's just been really great. That's been a lot of fun. So I would recommend if you can um, do a social thing after um, after the meeting's finished. That's That's been really good. Literally all of my ski, rock and ice climbing partners are through the jugs. That's been great. Very nice side effect. <laughs> So another question from my personal point of view for the Belgian jug, our idea is to have locations in diff uh, different locations and then see if we can attract a community in a city and maybe split up again in, in different jugs. Um, do you have some tips to organize jugs at different locations and attract new people, new speakers, new visitors? I was just going to say, I think that's a great idea. If you can find venues in different uh, cities. I've done some jug tours in the last several years. I even did it last year in Ireland and the UK. And the, the funniest thing I discovered is the best organizer was a recruiter. And so it was the, the guy who runs the uh, Barry, runs the uh, Dublin jug. Um, if I contact him and tell him I want to do a jug tour in Cork and Dublin and Belfast and, you know, in the UK, he arranges it all. And he's very motivated because he's a recruiter, right, to get people there. So I think, you know, it's one of the things traditionally with our jug, they've been uh, like online. They're kind of a pain, right? They join the mailing list and spam the mailing list. And you're like, ah, right. But for people looking for jobs, especially if they're at the meetup, they can be very helpful. So I've even thought if we if we got new leadership or younger leadership, like it might be good to partner with a good recruiter as well to kind of, you know, have that motivation. Mm -hmm. Definitely uh, see if you can team up with recruiters. We've had uh, some different recruiting companies sponsor us uh, from the beginning. Um, and that's been a big source of, uh, you know, help with the sponsorship, but also like they'd provide, you know, like provide food and some other things um, and sometimes a venue. So uh, that's going to be really helpful to you. And then as Matt said, you can get people that are looking for work that's been a draw for us as well. And I think that's that's really been a, a great um, symbiotic relationship. Uh, Matt, if you schedule a world tour, you'll forget Belgium, I think. Yep, I, I've been meaning to do Belgium and Germany. So they're on my uh, wish list. Belgium is very small, so I can understand that you forgot it or just overlooked it. I love Belgium. The beer is so delicious. <laughs> ah, that's the uh, maybe the main argument to attract new speakers, our Belgium beer. Uh, Chris, what is for you the most important thing of a jug of a community event 
I think it's just bringing together a, a common community of experience uh, that we're all going through variations of the same thing. The value of, of sharing those experiences and how things could be better with technology or work processes. Uh, Zeti, so something you can add? I think making people feel welcome. I, I know for me, um, you know, back when I first started attending, it was very intimidating. And uh, I was I joined just in time for the uh, design pattern sessions, and that was supremely helpful. So I think a lot, a lot of people, they show up for the first time. They're a little intimidated. They they randomly hear about the group and they're not sure. So I, you know, if I see a new face, I try to go talk to them, ask them why they were there, and uh, try to guide them on, on how they can get what they need out of the group. So yeah, just making people feel welcome. Thank you, uh, Greg. What is most important for you for a jerk? I like what's already been said, and so I'm not going to repeat it. But those are really important things. The other thing is basically to pepper information to people that might not otherwise have access to it. So um, maybe in your work environment, you really do server-side stuff and you've never done um, other things that you would get exposed to in the Java users group. At my own work, uh, we are starting to do, uh, we have been for a little while, um, more DevOps type stuff. And that's been around for a long time, but I was first exposed to it at the Jug. Same with the design patterns users group that we did. Um, I did, I really didn't learn about them from the gang of four, but there's another book and we had a speaker. And then that users group, that little breakout group was a great way to learn the technology and, um, and then share that at your workplace as well. So um, it's been a, it's been a great way to learn things I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed to. Yeah, we already have a lot. Matt, something you can add? I will add that uh, community. I think I've really enjoyed the open source community in my life, as well as like the Java community and the Denver Jug community, and even other communities like, you know, the Denver Nuggets is an NBA basketball team, and it's fun to root for them, right? The Denver Broncos, not so much. They're, they're not as good in the NFL. But, you know, being a part of those groups is very rewarding when it's going well, right? And, you know, for the sports teams, it's a little different because they struggle, and then it's tough to be a part of those groups. But, you know, with Java, like, it seems like we're all rooting for the same thing. Right. And we're all rooting for each other and just trying to get better and, you know, do our careers and make a living. And it's fun to do it with other people mm -hmm. and see their successes. Okay. I will add to the show notes of this uh, podcast some links. So I have the meetup link for the Denver Java users group. I also have the meetup for Boulder Java user groups. Are there a few other links I should add? There's djug.org. Do you have that on your list? Uh, not yet. We also have the YouTube channel, which is uh, youtube.com slash Denver Jug. Right. Um, it might not be as active, right, going forward because we're just trying to get people in person and get a venue. But, you know, if we start getting 100 people a, a meetup again and uh, and I feel the desire to start recording them again, that could certainly get active again. Yeah, the recording is definitely something which makes the event harder to organize. Right. Uh, good. Thank you, first of all, guests of this episode and you for listening. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. And let us see where our Jug World Tour will bring us next month. Give me a Foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.